0: International Horse College's motto is People, Safety and Horse Welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Today I'd like to introduce Dr. Robert Miller. Dr. Robert Miller started off as a veterinarian. He's now retired from that, and we're going to talk to him about the science of horsemanship and the principles of equine behaviour, and uh, also a little bit about his book, Blending Art and Horsemanship. How are you today, Bob? Oh, fine. Good, good. Now, we started to talk a little bit about your favorite quote. You started to tell me, and I said, no, no, hang on a sec. We'll start the interview, and then you can tell me about your quote. Now, your quote, I understand, is from the Bible, but not necessarily for religious reasons. Would you like to talk about your quote and why you've chosen that one?
1: I heard this often as a child. My my parents uh Uh, Said, especially my mother, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I think that if everybody lived by that, we would be so much kinder, such a more peaceful world, so much less friction and hostility. And uh, the important thing to me is it doesn't mention that others means humans, Mm -hmm. because I think that applies. To, uh, animals as well. Okay. Do unto others as you would have the others do unto you.
0: Good, good. Now you've been fairly strong in the teaching of the science of horsemanship, principles of equine behavior. Yes. Yeah. What got you into that field? Is it going back to your mother saying, do unto others as you would have them do unto you?
1: No. Uh, I, I had a great interest in horses as a child. Possibly because my father grew up on a farm working with draft horses and uh, uh, had a great love for horses and told me about that. And I saw pictures of him. I still have them uh, with the horses. They were taken early in the the 20th century. And uh, when World War II broke out, uh, there was an organization called Victory Farm Volunteers. Mm-hmm. because there was a great shortage of uh, manpower on the farms, because everybody was rushing to uh, get into the war effort and to uh, enlist in the armed forces. Uh, so I applied for that at 15 years of age. Uh, I was accepted and included a salary of $1 per day, uh, room and board. Yep. And the only choice they gave you, it's not the kind of farm that you were going on, but the location. Now, I chose Vermont. I was interested in history and wanted to see rural New England. So I got on a the train. They shipped me all the way to Vermont. Spent my summer there working for a dollar a day. Time's as long as 12 hours a day Loved <laughs> it. Uh, and uh, next summer, said, I want to go back to Vermont. And this time, they sent me to a modern dairy farm. Which I was hoping the first time, but when I got there, I found there was no electricity, and we had to hand milk 15 head of cattle. But the second summer was a modern farm, and uh, I didn't like it as well as that, that previous farm. But uh, I worked with horses, uh, worked the fields behind a horse, and the, the high point of the day when the day was over, working in the fields behind the horse all day, cultivating mostly, yep. uh, was to get on that horse's back and ride him in bareback. Mm-hmm. And uh, except for the two years I was in the Army, uh, I spent every summer of my life working with horses. And when I became a veterinarian, it became every year of my
0: life. Yep.
1: It still is.
0: Yep, yep. And just being a vet and understanding horsemanship and equine behaviour. Do you think that the people who have horses understand that as well? Is that why you started to teach that? Is because there was a lack of understanding?
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, was there an incident that you thought, I'm going to start teaching this?
1: No, not teaching, but uh, using their methods. Yep. Uh, after I got out of the Army, um Before I started college, the first summer I worked the Wrangling Horses in California on a very large ranch, the Irvine Ranch. And um, then started college in the fall. I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I was majoring in animal husbandry Mm -hmm. in the School of Agriculture only because I loved animals. I didn't know what I was going to do with the degree. And the next summer I worked on a, a ranch. In southern way in the southern Arizona, down near the Mexican border, and uh, they had a uh, guy starting colts there. They call them bronc busters back in those days. Yep. And it was very crude and very brutal. Blindfold the horse, tie up one leg, get him a saddle. Very forceful, very terrifying for the horse. And then you uh, buck him out mm-hmm. until he quit and yep. would accept the. Fight. And I somehow knew that there had to be a better method, even though this is traditional cowboy horsemanship. Yep. So when I got back to town in the fall went back to school, I went to the library and I found two books written in the 19th century. One by John Rary from Ohio mm-hmm. and one written in England by Captain Bush Hayes a cavalry veterinarian who spent his career in uh, India. Yes. This were eye-opening experiences for me that uh, starting colts and horsemanship does not need to be brutal or forceful or abusive. It just has to be skillful. And uh, I continued going to school, got my bachelor's degree and uh, still was, could not get into veterinary school. Uh, I moved to Colorado because I wanted to live in Colorado at that time. I, I loved to, to ski. I loved the mountains. Uh, spent a summer working on a ranch and then finally was accepted into the Colorado Veterinary School. And I, every summer I worked on ranches and I was starting colts. Colts back then were four, five, and six years of age and had never been handled. And... Uh, I uh, developed a method today we now call natural horsemanship. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. Uh,
1: And when I became a veterinarian, when I graduated in 1956, uh, my practice was very, very mixed practice here in California, which is what I wanted. Uh, Mostly beef, cattle, uh, horses, dogs and cats, and The area had a tremendous wild animal population, a big zoo, and it never had a veterinarian closer than 30 miles away. So I did all species, everything, and built a group of six doctors. Halfway through my career, uh, one of them suggested that one of us ought to specialize in horses because... The horse practice was growing in quantity and quality, and they all looked at me, and I said, wait a minute, I started this practice, and I love the variety of animals in it. (laughs) And uh, one of my partners said, yes, but you're the only horseman in the group, so you're the logical one. I agreed to do it for one year, uh, and uh, if I was not happy, I'd go back into mixed practice, all species and we'd take on another veterinarian as a full-time equine uh, practitioner. Well, within 30 days, my life had become so simplified, trying to keep up with the technology, which like all technologies was growing explosively. Yeah, I only had to concentrate on uh, horses. And more important to me, I love working out of doors. I don't like working indoors. And in California, work out of doors is very pleasant, 95% of the time. We have a very benign climate. Mm-hmm. So I told them, I'd be very content to spend the rest of my career this <laughs> way. I developed some techniques, which uh, were revolutionary training techniques. And uh, uh, I, I'm a writer, so I was writing monthly uh, for the... Uh, Western Horseman Magazine. And I was soon getting invitations internationally to uh, teach uh, horse behavior. Uh, and then, at 58 years of age, I realized I was turning down all kinds of uh, wonderful invitations and uh, made the decision to retire from practice at age 60 and, uh, teach and write full-time. And now <laughs> at 91, wow. that's what I'm doing.
0: Wow, Writing wow. And- I'm just wondering, you know, when you had all those other species of wild animals, when you're working with them, did that help you understand the horse behavior a bit better? You know, the wild horse behavior? So you're working with other wild animals and working with wild horses. Was it similar in behavior?
1: Yes, yes, okay. everything adds to your education. Mm. but uh, the, since I was working with species, mammals, reptiles, birds that I had never been trained in, I had to rely upon uh, what I knew about them, and this led me to become a a, a worshiper of evolution. I would analyze. Where does this creature live in the wild? How does it survive? And that gave me clues to how to handle them, how to get along with them, to understand their behavior, uh, how to feed them. I started to apply this uh, to domestic animals, particularly the horse. And uh, it took a little time, but it led to invitations. We've been on every continent except Antarctica. There's not too many horses down there. (laughs) But we've been in many countries and uh, have friends all over the world now. And uh, I'm also as avid a student as I am a teacher. So I regularly attend the various uh, horsemen, trainers, clinicians, and attend their performances, read books, magazines constantly. And I learn what not to do, and I learned what to do. Okay. And my own horses and mules are an example mm-hmm. of uh, the efficacy of uh, the proper methods.
0: If you were going to give a message to our listeners, you know, about the main principles of equine behavior, what would you say to them? You know, thinking that the listeners to our podcast are people who just would like to know more about horses, more about education of horses, more about, you know, everything. I mean, we have lots of specialists on, but the main principles of equine behavior, what would you say they are?
1: Having been all over the world, native horsemanship, Mm -hmm. South America, all over North America, uh, Europe, Asia, uh, I can say one thing. The horse is a very forgiving creature. This enabled it to become the most valuable of all domestic animals to the human species because it enabled man to travel distances with speed that was otherwise not attainable and learn from other other people uh, various uh, things that served to advance. Those civilizations that didn't have a horse were greatly retarded in their development. Those civilizations that had the horse, that's primarily Europe and uh, Asia, made great advances because the horse gave them the mobility. And uh, as a lover of mules, uh, which unlike the horse, which is, the horse is a very forgiving creature. Mules, very talented animals, but much less forgiving than the horse. And in order to be uh, an expert with mules, you have to use proper equine behavior, whereas with horses, a lot of the methods that are traditional in many societies are unnecessarily crude, unnecessarily uh, abusive, but the horse being a forgiving creature, uh, the majority of horses... Uh, manage to become useful domestic animals. And the rare horse that uh, doesn't, we blame it on the horse. We say that's an outlaw and uh, we talk to a rodeo contractor. (laughs) But uh, it's because if you are to get mules that are gentle and safe and uh, considerate like uh, the ones we own, You've got to use ideal horsemanship. What is, uh, in the last half century, become known as natural horsemanship, the term coined by Pat Pirelli,
0: yep.
1: who took it to Australia
0: mm-hmm.
1: and elsewhere in the world. And uh, one of the uh, one of the, uh, horsemen that I admire the most. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: What's a method, you know, just thinking about the training methods that mules won't accept that horses will, a crude method that you think needs to be phased out that that horses are better off without? You've said about the blindfolding and the tying the horse's legs up.
1: Yes, yes. The traditional cowboy method uh, was uh, to uh, tie up a hind leg, uh, blindfold the horse, uh, him by the ears or with a twitch or uh, get him saddled up, get up in the saddle, turn him loose and let him buck until he quit bucking. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, the next time uh, it was a little easier and the next time a little easier, some of those horses would buck all of their lives. But it was considered uh, normal and they managed to make very, very good skillful uh ranch horses for herding cattle uh, for roping cattle and so on uh which convinced them that what we're doing is correct but when i saw that on the ranches i, I just felt it wasn't it wasn't necessary and uh, if you use the methods known as natural horsemanship uh and even though you're in Australia, because of Pirelli, uh, first of all, he's married to an Australian lady, a horsewoman. Yes. And secondly, because he's been there many, many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, once with me, uh, I think that the term is familiar. Am I correct?
0: Yes, that's right, yep.
1: Yeah, they, uh, those men, in fact, Pirelli st- actually started his career with mules, not with horses, and he had a saying when he was in his uh, mid-twenties, uh, when I met him. Yep. Uh, mules are exactly the same as horses, only more so. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so uh, using the methods he teaches, that I picked up on uh, many years earlier, uh, it's changed horsemanship all over the world. It's not—it's not a complete thing, but it is changing. Mm-hmm. And I decided, uh, in my late fifties, to retire from veterinary practice prematurely, which I did at age sixty, and join uh, this revolution in horsemanship. Not to be one of the clinicians teaching it, but rather. To explain scientifically, because I have the background in the education, why it works. Okay. Yep. It's a mistake out of it. It's a mystery. hmm Mm-hmm. If you're an
0: equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. All right. Now, talking about your book, the one that you wrote about art, blending art and horsemanship. Now, I haven't read the book, but I've heard that within the book you talk about people who start off with horses, you know, might ride when they're young, you know, have horses, but their career gets in the way. They go on, they give up horses, get – to you know almost like a midlife crisis and then say oh i think i want to go back to horses now we hear those stories all the time you know people even when they're young they they say i've got to go to university they might go to university and drop out or not or have a year off before they go to university never actually stop doing horses but people who go and have a career and um give up and have a life with horses. We've talked about that. But I think your farrier, do you want to tell us a little bit about him and the career he gave up?
1: Yes. He was an astrophysicist working for the U.S. Navy Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, working at the Point Magoo Naval Base, which is uh, about three miles from where I live. And... uh, he had horses, and I took care of his horses. And then uh, I got a letter from him. And he, called me, uh, he called me out one time and said, I shoe my own horses. I'd like your professional opinion. And I looked at it, and I remember what I said to him. I said, I said you're not only doing an excellent job uh, with the, the care of your horse's feet, but you're actually doing better than some professional farriers. Of course, he was glad to hear that. (laughs) And a few years after that, I got a letter that he had sent out uh, that um, he was going to quit his position with the Navy and become a full-time farrier. He's now in his 70s and still shoeing horses full-time. When he was uh, just, I think, 70, I said to him, do you ever regret your change of careers? He said, no. He says, I'm a very happy man now. This is what I love. Uh, But what you said, people that have maybe learned to ride when they're young and Mm -hmm. then raising families and their careers and the cost uh, of owning horses stops them from it. And then later later on when they have both the time and the money to go back to it, that's very, very common. Yes. I've seen that countless times.
0: Mm Yes, yes, there's that reward that you can't compare with money. It's not a monetary thing. It's a, Let
1: yeah. me ask a question. You sure. mentioned, I've done 23 books. You mm-hmm. mentioned the book. What was the title of the book? The
0: one that that I had heard that, that, that came up was Blending Art and
1: Horsemanship. Oh, yeah, but that, 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 that <laughs> is the one book I that has nothing to do with horsemanship. Uh, it's just... I discovered oh with this farrier incidentally yes this this farrier is an artist and uh, I said to him this not too many years ago before that I did that book I said you know it's amazing how many people that love horses and I have uh, horsemanship skill mm. are also artistic I said including me. He says, that's right, you're a professional cartoonist. I said, yes, I am. I said, but I'm talking about the fine arts. I can think of so many people. He said, "Uh, why don't you you write a book about that? (laughs) So I went home. I started calling some of my friends, clients, associates, and some of them that I didn't know had artistic ability. And I'd say, uh, I've always admired your horsemanship. I said, I've never asked you this before, but do you have artistic ability? And I was amazed. With very few exceptions, mm-hmm. they said, yes, yes, I uh, I like to sculpt. Another one uh, likes to do metal work. Uh, a lot of music was number one. Okay. Uh, the love of music. Uh, so I there is a link between this uh, love of horses and horsemanship and artistic ability, and I decided nobody knows about this, I ought to, I ought to mention it. Mm. So that's why I
0: wrote mm. Mm. It's interesting. I want, um, you know, for the uh, listeners to think about what do they do. I, I'm thinking myself, you know, when I was at school, I took art as a subject and uh, ended up having one of my paintings hung in the Queensland Art Gallery, which, you know, I'm sure that there's many professional artists that would like to have that honour.
1: And, you, and your lifelong mm. love of horses.
0: Yep, yep, for sure. Yep.
1: Yeah, there is a connection. I don't know if it's uh, uh, mental or physical. Uh, I haven't tried to understand it, but it's uh, having researched it with, by speaking to countless uh, people mm. that I thought I had a strong love for horses. Uh, I found that Uh In fact, a lot of them said, "Oh no, I don't have any artistic ability." And I said, "None? No, no, no. I I wish I could." Uh, and then a few minutes later, they'll say, uh, "I asked if they have hobbies. Oh yes, uh, music. I am a music lover." Yes. Uh, in other words, they didn't regard that as an art form. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had many answers like that, uh, that they didn't regard themselves as an artist and their, their passion, their hobby was artistic. So there's a link there, no question about it.
0: Yep, yep, for sure, for sure. All right, now going forward, because you've just had Thanksgiving, you are in the middle of Thanksgiving, is that right?
1: Tomorrow is Thanksgiving. Okay, my family's gathered in the other room.
0: Oh no! <laughs> okay, okay. Well, we'll let you get back to them very soon. But just wondering, what are you writing? Another book? Are you doing anything at the moment?
1: Well, I, I write continuously. Mm-hmm. I have magazine articles. Uh, I'm always working on a on a book. Uh, I did it throughout my career. Sometimes uh, I would take as long as nine years to through a uh, a book. Uh, and, uh, so I'm, and, and I'm still on the lecture circuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've cut myself this year, 2018. I cut myself to one trip a year. Okay. Uh, because these things usually run several days, uh, like a weekend seminar at an expo or something like that. And, uh, last year I was doing two or three a month and, uh, We're just getting to an age where we thought we'd slow down a little bit, so now Mm -hmm. now I'm only doing one a month.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. And then um, just if you can sum up your philosophy with horses, with training, with equine behavior, how would you sum it all up just into a couple of sentences?
1: Oh, that's difficult. That's (laughs) difficult. It's a
0: big subject, yes. Yes.
1: We have to discard tradition. Because wherever I've gone in the world, including many places very famous for the horsemanship, Poland, Argentina, um, just the, the West and North America, uh, and, and and many other places, I have found that I've seen things that I had never seen before, and and admired. And the same group of horsemen did things that horrified me. They they were so unnecessarily uh, coarse and brutal. So what I tell people is there's so much information out there now, videos and books and the horse magazine. You have to educate yourself. And that's what I did. I worked Mm -hmm. at it. Also, uh, there's opportunities everywhere now to attend uh, educational clinics and we should not become a blind disciple because uh, with rare exceptions, even many of these very famous clinicians horse trainers whose methods I strongly uh, command are doing things that I think are wrong uh, but uh, most of what they're doing is correct uh, if you didn't ask me one question, Is how did I get on this uh, teaching and lecture circuit that cut my yes. practice career? Yes,
0: Please, please tell, my, tell us. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, I developed a, a method of training newborn fools. Okay. Which had tremendous opposition because I was taught in uh, agricultural school before I went to veterinary school. Mm-hmm to minimize the handling of newborn foals. That you'll cause problems. You'll uh, interfere with the bond between mare and foal. You'll spoil the foal. Uh, I was taught the same thing in veterinary school. But when I got into practice in 1959, my third year of practice, I had a very busy obstetrical week in May of 1959. Uh, had to get out of bed through nights to deliver foals, Distortions—that That is where the foals were tangled and couldn't be born. They were coming out the wrong way, which meant without human interference, both mirror and foal would die. So it's its kind of a hard work to do in the middle of the night to push that foal back in, get it turned around properly, uh, and then pull it out, deliver it. And then you, you don't jump in your car and drive home because the foal and the mare have been through a lot of stress. So you stick around a half an hour or so, be sure you're all right. And I dry the foal off and listen to its heart and spend a little time with it. And when I went back to see those foals, one at 40 days, I was doing a, a pregnancy exam on the mare. Yep. Bred right on the foal heat, one hundred days. Also, I finished exam on the mare, and the other one was four months of age. Uh, at which back then we would worm and vaccinate foals at four months. Mm-hmm. I was amazed that these foals were so gentle. They, first of all, two of them actually came to me. They recognized me and came to me. And uh, all three of them allowed me to handle them and touch them. And in each case, I turned to the owner and said, boy, what a gentle fool. I said, you've been working with it? They said, no, we haven't touched it since you delivered it. So I knew about imprinting that had been discovered uh, by an Austrian uh, scientist in the 30s, 1935, uh, Conrad Lorenz, and uh, he wrote about Ducks, geese, geese, that goslings handled as they come out of the egg by a human. They will attach to the human, respect the human, and follow anywhere. He called it imprinting. That's the translation. Mm-hmm. It's Prägung in German. And I thought, well, it works in birds. Why wouldn't it work in mammals? Well, as a matter of fact, it had already been established while I was in college. Uh, that had been established that mammals imprint. At certain ones at birth, what they call precocial species. The imprinting occurs at birth. Sheep and goats 15 minutes after birth. That's the the, the air of time that you have. So I had a foal coming at home, and when I was born, I spent time with it, handled it all over, and the next day I knew I was onto something. Mm -hmm. So after doing, we were raising a foal a year. After doing three folds, I decided to bring it into my practice. And uh, when I was called out to see a newborn foal, I would say to the owner, Would you like to see what I'm doing with my foal? they he said, Yes. And I'd show them. It takes about an hour. And I didn't charge them for it because I knew that that foal was going to be a good patient for the rest mm-hmm. of its life. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I found it was taking so much time that. Uh, after a couple of years, I started saying, what are you going to do with this foal? And if they said, we've uh, already got it sold, or we're going to sell it, uh, I didn't take the time. But if they said, well, we're keeping it, it's going to be part of our our, our breeding uh, herd. Uh, I knew if I spent an hour, even if I didn't charge for it, I'd benefit by it because yes. I, made, I created a gentle and cooperative patient. as all of my horses and mules have been. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got into this. Then I did started uh, writing articles. I was doing monthly articles for the Western magazine. Then they asked me to do a book, uh, which I did eagerly. And that book is uh, still published and still available. Infrared training of the newborn foal. And then I made some videos uh, of the procedure. And I started getting invitations from all over the this country and other countries. And that led to my early retirement, some practice into the career I'm still in right now. <laughs> yeah. And that is traveling, teaching, writing, and uh, enjoying it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you are, and and I'm looking forward actually to talking to you a bit more, uh, talking to you in a bit more depth. You know, we can sort of talk about what we can do next time. I think at the moment um, you probably your family are waiting for you in the next room to get back to uh, your Thanksgiving activities, but if people wanted to contact you and talk to you about anything, what's the best way to contact you?
1: Well, uh, my website uh is com. That's where my books and videos are ordered from. My son runs that. Okay. I write them, he sells them. <laughs> and uh, uh, I'll, I'll only mention, as I said, I've done about eight videos and uh, working on my 23rd book. Yep. Uh, but your listeners, they want to know. Which I recommend. Yes, please. The, the book I recommend uh, is Understanding the Ancient Secrets of the Horse's Mind, because that goes over everything I've said here, but it goes into detail. I've got a video on it, but I recommend the book.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the second thing I recommend is just the opposite. I recommend the video rather than the book, because it's so important. And I'm sadly going to mention the fact that it's the poor selling video I've done, even though I think it's the most important. It's called Safer Horsemanship. Okay. Because I mentioned to the people who did my training videos that only once in my life was I ever injured by a horse to where I had going to a hospital. And that was when... Uh, a three-week-old a three fool ran into me at top speed, knocked me flat on my back, and I ended up with knee surgery.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's unusual for anybody who's working with horses. There's usually lots of injuries. So they said, why don't you make a video on the methods you use to avoid getting injured? Yes. Uh, so I had to think it out, and I... I came out with this video safer horsemanship, safer for the horse and safer mm-hmm. for the human. Yep. But it doesn't appeal to people as much as as horse training does. Mm. Uh, but I, I tell people that I love horses. They're wonderful animals, but because of their size and strength, and the fact that they're a timid prey species. Uh, capable of extremely fast motion. You've got to know where to stand, how to move, how facial uh, expression, the position of your hands, of course, reads all of that. So uh, I do a lot of presentations at Exposure. I've had three, all people in their 60s, three people come up to me and say, You're Safer commercial video saved my life. And I said, I'm I'm really glad to
0: hear that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. See, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, well, I think if people can go to your um, website, we'll have those details on your page as well, which will be horsechats.com slash Robert Miller. We'll have all of those details on there about the videos. The video, the book, and um, how you can get to the website to have a look at all the videos and all the books to go from there.
1: Does my wife have that number?
0: I will send it to her. Yes.
1: Yes, please do. Uh, Just like my my (laughs) son sells the books and videos, my wife does all the control
0: work. (laughs) No worries (laughs) at all. All right. Look, um, Family
1: operation.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'd love to have you back. I think you've got ten behavioral characteristics of horses, of a horse.
1: That, uh, that is what the the book I recommended, uh, Understanding the Ancient Secrets of a ah, Horse
0: of Okay, yes. It's, it's in there. Ten
1: essential for the human to understand. Yep, yep.
0: All right. Well, look, I think we're going to talk to you next week, aren't we? We can talk about that then, the 10 behavioural characteristics of the horse or 10 uh, that they can That's understand. Fine. Yeah, perfect. All right. Well, it was wonderful talking to you, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe.